The following is a paid program. Portions of this program may have been pre-recorded. All views or opinions expressed are solely the responsibility of the sponsored. The host and guests do not reflect that of this station, ownership, management, or staff. This station does not endorse or support any claims made. The content of this program is provided for educational and informational purposes. It is strictly up to the listener to accept or reject what is presented. Thank you for listening. Doug Stephan here, host of the Good Day Radio program. You're listening to Niagara County's information station, Lockport. Mr. Connor is a registered representative and managing principal with Connor Wealth Management. Securities offered through Commonwealth Financial Network, member FINRA, SIPC. Opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, its guests, and callers, and not those of WLVL, its management, staff, or sponsors. Nothing contained in this program should be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell a security. And if applicable, only after the prospectus has been read and understood by the customer. These decisions can only be made after consideration of an investor's investment objective and the investment suitability. All right. Good morning, everybody. Today is Friday, April 21st, and we are joined in studio with our friend Eric Connor from Connor Wealth Management here in the town of Lockport. Good morning, Mr. Connor. How are you doing this morning? Good morning. I'm great. What a glorious day, isn't it? I was just going to say the sun is shining. It's going to warm up. It's beautiful already, but it's going to warm up to that perfect temperature. Yes. Mid-70s. Yeah, 74 is right at the cutoff for me. Yep, yep. Uh, Keep the humidity modest. You can do anything you want. You know, if you want to just sit in a chair, watch the world go by, you can do it. I'm in. If you got to do some yard work, you're not huffing and puffing and, you know, sweating buckets like you might if it's 84 and humid. I'm in. Perfect weather. Absolutely perfect. Yep. There's no downside to this whatsoever. Between 72 and 74 degrees with no humidity is Eric's ideal world. Yep. Yep. And I suppose, well, I suppose there's one downside. It probably is perfect dandelion weather. Well, yeah. Well, the bees need to get, the bees need to do their thing too. So that's, that's the dandelions that's right. come up. And that's an excuse to not cut the lawn. Yeah, yeah. Because you can let the dandelions grow for a couple of days, let the bees do their thing, and then cut the lawn. You know, there's this whole thing, just to totally get sidetracked for a second, there is this whole thing about no mow may. With the idea that you let your lawn grow and uh, to your point about the bees, but it's also about the other um, nesting animals, uh, birds and whatnot, and all the stuff about nature and and whatnot uh, in terms of May, May, May. And I've had this long-time policy. I don't mow in April, and it drives my wife a little nuts. She's not listening right now, so I'll gladly talk about her in this in, 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 to make this point, it drives her nuts. And I say, no way, I'm not mowing. I'll mow in May. And now there's, it's work, you know, sort of like nature's working against me. Now I'm apparently supposed to mow in April so that I don't mow in May. I think I'm going to stick by my no mow in April rule. I, I, I think you're good there. Yeah. Because if you don't mow in May, the HMO is going to come knocking. Yeah, well, right. I can get away with it. The way the orientation of my house, uh, we don't really start good growth in April. So, you know, it's not really that big a deal. But, yeah, by May, man, that grass really gets growing and the weeds will really get growing. Like, that would not be a good look. 
Yeah, especially if you fertilize your lawn like in the fall. Or yeah, yeah. What have exactly. you? Have a nice healthy growth coming up. Nice healthy it, hay field it, it coming right, up. It kind of gets out of control, right? So, yeah. Anyway, just total sidetrack there, but. Well, my longtime philosophy is I don't mow in April, and and, and uh, I'll stick with that. Today's the the twenty first. I can easily go another nine days ignoring ignoring what my my uh, increasingly green and thick lawn looks like. And uh, you know, the neighbors are mowing, and they probably think I'm the Beverly Hillbilly neighbor. So I apologize to any of the neighbors that you are are listening and just know it's my policy that I really don't mow in April. And you're from Newfane. Originally from Newfane <laughs> and where yeah, and actually where I grew up even though it was on transit um in in kind of the center, uh I did not have any neighbor. I didn't have houses on either side of me or across the street. So, uh yeah, sort of having weird little habits like that, it I didn't offend anyone back it then. It didn't matter. <laughs> it didn't matter. We could do whatever we wanted. You know what? It still doesn't matter. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I hate to tell you. But uh, yeah. I'm not mowing my lawn because my mower is in for service. Oh, yeah. Got to yeah. do that once in a while. And, of course, my service guy is Oh, they're busy. swamped. They're just yeah. swamped. Yeah. So I came over uh, one time uh, a few years ago and, and had a, a snowblower problem at the end of the season. And I called up and I wanted them to tackle it so that I didn't forget it in the fall. And, and he sort of Laughed. came straight out and was like, are you kidding me? I have got like 80 lawnmowers that need attention. I am not taking a snowblower right now. <laughs> I was like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll see you in September. Yeah, that's how it goes. Yeah, I couldn't get my mower out to service because of all that rain we had. Yeah. It was just, it was a swamp in the yard and I'm not going to drive it through the swamp and create ruts and... Because that's just more work for that's just a new project. That's right, that I am not interested in partaking. Not going to do it. So, go. ladies and gentlemen, if you're just joining us, we're a. We are not the lawn care hour. We are not. <laughs> we're chatting with Eric Connor, President and CEO of Connor Wealth Management, located right here in Lockport at 5860 Snyder Drive. And uh, you can feel free to give us a call and join our conversation at 433. 433- one four three three. That's four three three fourteen thirty three here on the air. But if you would like to have a consultation with him in private, you can call his office at four three nine one one four three. Again, that is four three nine one one four three. Connorwealth dot com. So, Mister Connor, things have been going kind of cuckoo with the with the money up and down here the last couple of weeks. Yeah, it's been uh, just a smidgen of time since I've been here because yeah, uh, yeah. Good Good Friday was a closed market day, yep. so I haven't been here so far this month, and so means we got through the first quarter, and I've got the little um, magical data sheet down here in front of me, and it said um, that in the first quarter we finished up uh, on the S and P five hundred about seven percent. And in the last quarter of last year, even though the year was bad, the fourth quarter last year finished up about 5%. So you've gone up 5% and 7% in the broad stock market on the S&P 500 basis. That's pretty remarkable because when I'm talking to people, they are very much on the gloomy side. They think the world's coming to an end. They think, you know, 
inflation's out of control. And let me give you the tidbit because this is also on my magical data sheet. Inflation has now gone down at a has has a has had a decrease nine straight months. Nine straight months. So it doesn't mean that prices are getting cheaper, but the rate of inflation has been shrinking for nine straight months. And so last month, we're now in that 5% level. And for listeners that stick with us over time, you'll know that those are kind of the numbers we were throwing around a few months ago saying that you'll get to year-over-year comparisons that will go into the fives and then they'll go into the fours. And um, it's really setting up in that way. And so March threw us that weird curveball for uh, Silicon Valley Bank uh, sort of collapsing uh, because of deposits uh, running out of the bank in a, in a two-day span. And um, ultimately what it's done is sort of outside of damaging bank stocks for right now, it really hasn't shown any other damage in the market and we've been a little bit higher so all the volatility the headlines um you know the crazy feeling that this world gives you the market's been moving higher and in the meantime we've got interest rates that are now in a spot where people can make some money in money markets and cd rates uh, above four percent if you're searching um, I have a lot of discussions with clients right now uh, and people um, that are becoming clients where they've got money at the bank and the bank's paying them one and a quarter percent or one and three quarters. And they're like, shouldn't we have better alternatives than that? And the answer is yes. And so we've we've had that discussion with people where um, we can we can pro- provide some options that get them a higher rate. Um, than what they've been seeing it, at, in their accounts, right? Whether it's savings or just money sitting in checking, that sort of thing. Or CDs that are coming up for renewal. Um, it's worth the phone call and, and uh, happy to do that if you want to call me at the office, 439-1143. Um, but what we continue to see is an extremely large amount of pessimism towards this idea that we're headed towards a recession and, you know, you could always sort of just say we're always headed towards a recession. We just don't know when it is. And so people have been on the lookout for it. Some thought it was coming last fall. Some were thinking maybe it would be here in the springtime. Current consensus seems to be pointing to about six months from now into that September and October area. Professionals, uh, and what I mean in this way is hedge funders are setting themselves up for a general decline in the market, right? They're, they're placing some uh, trades and trying to set themselves up for a decline. And in the meantime, we've just been headed higher. It's not been very dramatic in most spots, uh, although from the lows of last year, some areas of the market have rebounded very, very nicely. Um, the, the semiconductor category is up 50% from its lows, um, in, I'll, I'll say the fall, the September, October area of 2022. Um, some areas are much more modest and some are still declining. Uh, and that relates more to towards interest rates and, 
and what's gone on in the banking sector. So, you know, it's it's a real conundrum of mixing in the idea that rates have moved up, inflation was elevated and has been uh, decreasing a little bit. The rate of inflation has been decreasing. Um, we have the weird situation in housing where mortgage rates have more than doubled in a in a fifteen month period, but relatively speaking, there's no softness in the housing market. Um, there's still not a lot of houses for sale. Their sale prices are still strong, uh, even locally and nationally. You've had only a few pockets of of weakness in in some housing prices around the country. It's been pretty modest in most spots. Um, and, and trying to balance out the crazy headlines we see on an ongoing basis and saying, yeah, well, we have a caller. You want to see what they yeah, have Yeah, let's take it on. Good morning, caller. You are on SAPRO with Mr. Eric Connor from Connor Wealth Management. What is your uh, comment, thought, or question? Good morning, Eric. Good morning. Um, I'm looking for Eric's opinion on the uh, possibility that the stock market continues to rise because of the huge amount of stock buybacks from um, you know the larger companies. Yeah, that's a that's a a great little question. Um, sort of um, sometimes you ask where where is the support coming from in the market, right? If if I if I'm saying that the professionals on the hedge fund side are setting themselves up for some decline, well, the buying pressure must come somewhere. And so you do get an increased amount of stock buybacks, especially earlier in the year, and that does provide some support. I don't have any of the information in front of me as to um, what percentage of companies are buying back their stock at any point in time, but I would say it is it is not as big a situation as you would think. So it does lead support onto some names, but it is not a broad market. Um, it's not a, a support base for the broad market because they're not all buying back stock. And so over the years, I could give one example that, that makes sense for people. We know uh, energy prices were low for most of the 2010s. Right after the great financial crisis, oil was reasonably cheap, inflation was low, and in that decade, Exxon Mobil was generating cash but didn't have any real place to put it. They didn't keep drilling for new oil around the world. What they were doing was buying back massive amounts of their stock, and most of the time, their stock actually kept suffering. So even with the support that you would think was there, and I think there was a, 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 a total uh, buyback that equaled 25% of their market cap, the shares outstanding, they had basically shrunk their share balance by 25% in a decade or so, the stock still didn't go anywhere. It still had declined in that time period. So it's an interesting question, and there are – there are companies that absolutely get supported by stock buybacks. But as a broad statement for the market overall, it's not enough action because it is only in those specific names. You know, they're not buying back the broad market. They're only buying their, their company in particular. Right, yeah. Okay, I just, I, there was 
for me there's a concern because all these huge companies are flush with cash and you know buying back their stock and their stock you would say artificially increases in price so yeah <laughs> at it, some point it's got to stop yeah it's interesting because i as a as a uh, long time advisor in the business i'm not super fond of companies doing it because there are so many examples that show they've actually wasted shareholder value. And what I mean by that is they would have been better off paying the money out as a dividend compared to buying back their stock at a higher price and, and then have the stock go lower. And so that was what I meant with Exxon. Also, it happened with IBM for a number of years. They've been a huge buyback company. Most of the time, it has proven to be that they paid too much. And it would have been better off to pay it back to the shareholders as a dividend. So, yeah, it's a good spot to be concerned with. There's also a strange little um, amount of liquidity that happens in the earlier part of the year, and it and it relates to people making 401k contributions. So when you think of um, high earners and the fact that they might max out their 401k contribution – there's a certain belief that you have more buying pressure earlier in the year when that 401k money is coming into the market compared to the end of the year when they might have already maxed out their purchases for the year. And, and so there's a little less buying pressure in, in the last, say, three months of the year where the high-income people in the country have already maxed out their purchasing for the year on a 401k basis. So that's another um, – if you combine that amount of liquidity or buying pressure along with the idea that stock buybacks predominantly are announced and happen earlier in the year, it could it could create a scenario where maybe you'd want to have a little bit less confidence. Um, but again, I would say it's not the motivating factor for the broad market as a whole. Great. Thanks. I appreciate your thoughts. All right. Thanks for the call. All right, that was a good, good way to get the show started. It's a legitimate question. Yeah, it's a good question. And, uh, it's a good question. You know how to how do they keep the keep the motors oiled, right? Keep things oiled, keep them moving, and what's going to be in our best interest, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, and and you know just to take it a step deeper, you know the point of a stock buyback in a lot of respects is a company that's generating cash and then doesn't know what to do with the cash. <laughs> what a darn problem to have. Right? I wish I had that problem. So so <laughs> you know, you would think if you're if you're trying to grow, you're gonna go try to buy another business or you're gonna invest into more research and development and try to create a new product. Like literally invent a new product, bring it to market. But when you're a Goliath of a company, and l- again, let's use IBM as an example, um they get to the point where they're not really moving the needle by doing new acquisitions. They're not really out there uh, inventing things in in the way that they used to. And so they have their businesses that generate a bunch of cash. They pay out a dividend, but they still have more cash. So the board kind of sits there and shrugs their shoulders and then says, eh, let's buy some stock back. That'll be good because it, what it does is it reduces the share count. And by definition, then, will increase the earnings per share going forward because you have fewer shares outstanding. But as I mentioned, I'm a little cynical about it because a lot of times you've got these examples of 
big older companies that basically just destroyed some shareholder value by buying back the stock because ultimately the stock kept going lower. And so if you paid, if you bought back stock at 80 and a year later your share price is at 60, you wasted money. As a company, you wasted your own money. You should have just paid it out as a dividend. Imagine that, paying it out as a dividend to your stockholders instead of right. lowering right. your own value. Yeah, hmm. yeah. So there's just a lot of examples of that. And I, I'm sure, um, you know, someone in academia can could crunch it and show us how, you know, and I'll just make up the number for a second. And you say, yeah, you've got these glaring examples, but it works X percentage of the time that, that they did buy back shares at, the, at a cheaper price. But I would I would bet, just my own self, I would bet the companies are actually wrong probably 70% of the time. Because <laughs> the, the the big examples of Exxon and IBM are just so massive. The dollar amount that they wasted was just so massive that if you have another company that did it correctly and it worked out, that it just gets dwarfed. I mean, IBM's probably spent $30 billion buying back their own shares. Hasn't worked out. Exxon Mobil, I think, bought $80 billion or $100 billion of their shares. And it only worked out in the last year because oil finally went back up, you know, to the moon for a while. Right. And uh, but prior to that, it had been it had been a destruction of shareholder mm-hmm. value. It hadn't added to shareholder value. So, anyway, thanks for the phone call. It is a good question. The idea of does it does it sort of artificially support the market? Um, and again, as a whole, it does not because they're only buying back their specific shares. It's not It's not the broad market overall. Right. And for those of you who may be just joining us here on WLVL, we are in studio with Mr. Eric Connor from Connor Wealth Management. All things finances. And if you would like to join our conversation, you can certainly feel free to do that by calling 433 Three three. That's four three three one four three three to join our conversation. Now, Mr. Connor is a local guy. He's right in Lockport. His offices are at fifty eight sixty Snyder Drive here in the town of Lockport. And if you would like to have a private consultation with him, no worries there. Just call four three nine one one four three. That's four three nine one one four three for Connor Wealth Management. That was great. Look at that. Well, thank you. That was. I've been, pract- I've been practicing. Yeah, we got to record that right, right yeah. down. Make that, make that an ad. Hey. That was perfect. Our production manager's here. Frank, did you hear that? <laughs> <laughs> and Frank gets that duty a lot of times. He's that's his. He's, yeah, that's sometimes his he's the voice because he's got to he's got to make sure it fits into that window of time. Anyway, right. he's like, yeah. oh, I'll just do it myself. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I've got I've got one thing I've been waiting to uh, sort of touch on on the radio. I I had um, mentioned it I think in the past that that we had some new laws come in at the very end of the year, and uh, it was known as Secure Act 2.0, and it altered some some retirement rules and. Um, uh, required minimum distribution rules for IRAs and whatnot. But there was also an interesting change to 529 plans for college savings. And um, I finally got the details sort of uh, 
the devil is in the details when these new laws and regulations get passed. And uh, sometimes you see the headline information and you kind of go, hmm, okay, well, let's wait till the 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 fine print gets written and right. and then we can finally talk about it because until then it's too general and it doesn't quite paint the whole picture of what we're looking for. Right. You don't want to be speculative on that. Yeah. So um just a couple days ago I finally found kind of what I was looking for with the changes that pertain to the five twenty nine plans. And let me let me give the backstory. Five twenty nine plans allow you to put money away for college for your child or grandchild or niece or nephew. Doesn't matter. Can be anyone. And if you do a New York State plan, you can get a New York State tax deduction up to ten thousand a year if you're married filing joint. I think it's five thousand if you are single. Um, might be off on that, but I think that's right. Uh, and here's the interesting thing that was always a problem. People would want to talk about it, and there was always the issue of saying, but what if my child doesn't go to college? Or what if they get a scholarship and they don't need the money? And there was never a perfect answer. You can, and it's always been this way, you can transfer the value to a sibling or another family member. So that's great, but it doesn't do any good for the child that didn't need the money because they earned a scholarship, right? Kind of left them in the lurch. So as time went on, there was different discussion points about how um, how sort of the government could help uh, relieve the symptoms of that problem, right? The idea of, well, if the person uh, decided to go into the military or if the person decided to be excellent at sports and got a sports scholarship or got a merit scholarship, Whatever, you know, what what can we do to sort of relieve the, the issue of that? So this new Secure Act 2.0 actually came up with a pretty good set of uh, solutions. And so I've got the information. I tried to give the little background there before I'm going <laughs> to pass this forward. And now there's just a little bit of numbers I have to put in because it's how they flesh out the idea of solving the problem. So here's how it goes. Let's pretend you've now got a child who's had a 529. They're done with school and they have not utilized all the money in the, in the 529 plan. Here's what the Secure Act 2.0 will now let happen with this money. If the account has been open for 15 years or more, right? So they picked 15 out of a hat, let's face it. They had to pick a number. They picked a big number, so it has to be open 15 years. And the money that's in there had to have been deposited at least five years, had to have been in there at least five years. So those two characteristics are a little bit awkward, but it's not as important because there's an easy solution, which is to just let time go by. So instead of worrying about it the moment your child graduates college at, say, 22, if, it, if they haven't met the 15-year account open, just picture them waiting five years until the rest of this plays out or, you know, five years, six years, seven years, whatever. It's, it's totally fine. So it doesn't have to be a concern on day one that they graduate from college. It's just simply how do you resolve having an excess amount of money in the 529. 
So again, once you've satisfied the 15 years that it's been open and five years since the money was deposited in there, what the Secure Act 2.0 changes now let you do is that beneficiary of the IRA or of the 529, I'm sorry, beneficiary of the 529 can now do distributions from that 529 account tax-free into a Roth IRA for themselves. And they're allowed to take 35000 out of that 529 and do that. So right now you can do 6500 a year as Roth IRA contributions. So, you know, it's not quite six full years worth of contributions. Let's just say it's five years worth of contributions. That is a wonderful way of taking, a, taking out the fear of saying, what if I... What if my kid doesn't need that money for college? So the other way I set this up was that idea of if they finish college and had money left over. But the fact of the wording in the Secure Act 2.0 is they didn't have to go to college anyway. They can now just take that money. And so it eliminates the fear of if they didn't spend it or if they didn't need it or whatever. But it also eliminates the concern of what if my child doesn't go to college you're able to take up to 35000 out of the 529, move it over to the Roth IRA. It's, you know, obviously you're not doing it in one lump sum. You're doing it on an annual basis up to the maximum amount that year, which is currently $6,500 a year. That is a fantastic overall solution to this 529 funding problem that parents and grandparents have had from day one of saying, well, I'd really like to start saving for college, but, you know, the child is two or the child is six. I have no idea if that kid's going to college. Well, now it eliminates that overall headache because now you have a solution for the money. And the solution is that you're ultimately transferring from a college plan over to a retirement plan. What a great way to actually solve this problem. It And let's face it, right? It took the government 15 years to figure it out, but or 20 years to fi- – yeah, 20 plus years to figure it out. But it's a fantastic solution. And I'll layer on one last detail, which is a gr- – I will jokingly say it's a great problem to have, but it's a great detail in this – in the wording of this change. So in a Roth IRA situation, if you make too much money, you can't contribute to a Roth IRA. And it's whether you're single or married, the number is different. Um, married, the the modified adjusted gross income number is somewhere in the like 218,000 range this year. Uh, single, I do not know that off the top of my head and I don't have that reference chart next to me, so I apologize. Um, this wording for Secure Act 2.0 for 529 beneficiaries also says, and this is fantastic, if that child who did or didn't go to college but now has this money in the 529 and can move up to 35000 over a period of years into a Roth IRA, in that maneuver, they also have no income limit to being eligible to move that money into a Roth IRA. 
So I'll give sort of the extreme, super proud parent moment. Picture your kid going to college, coming out and making a fortune, right? They are coming out and maybe they're a pharmacist or maybe they're a doctor or maybe they're just a tech wizard or maybe they never went to college and they're a tech wizard. Who knows, right? Maybe they're a social media influencer and they make some ridiculous amount making videos for the internet. Who knows? Being able to take that 529 money and rolling it into a Roth year by year and you could be making tons of money and yet the wording is that there are no income limitations to being able to move that 35000 It is a fantastic change um, that relieves basically every concern that parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles have had about what do we do with a 529 that isn't used because you're able to take that money. You can still change it over to a sibling or another family member. You can change it to a cousin or whatever if that's what you want to do. But pretend pretend there's a scenario where it's literally just an only child and there's no cousins or anyone to transfer to. You can now move 35000 over a period of years into a Roth IRA, regardless of what's going on. The only thing the child needs is to have earned income to be able to make the Roth IRA contribution. What a great setup. And that may have been really hard to hear. I think I took about five minutes to lay that out. And there were a, f- a few too many numbers for radio in that regard. But really, uh, 15 years, the account needed to be open. Five years, the money needed to be in there. And now you can move 35000 from the 529 over to a Roth IRA. Again, subject to the annual maximum contribution limit. But the, the total you can get over into the Roth is 35000 What a fantastic setup. Certainly, it's surprising. The government did something that is in our favor. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I said, you know, it only took them 20 years to well, sort of piece it all together. But... But really, right, like you've – and I have the conversation probably I'll say twice a month with people mm-hmm. about, you know, they, they've got a new child or they've got a new grandson. They want to do something. Um, and you say, well, you know, kid's a newborn. Kid's only two. Kid's only four. You might want to wait. Well, now you don't really have to. Now you right. don't – because, again, the child doesn't have to go to college and end up with the money. It's just – a way to now transfer the money from a college-oriented account over to a retirement-oriented account. Fantastic improvement in the wording, in the regulations, and again, solves most of every dilemma. I guess the only problem you could come into now is that you still just have above 35000 that you're trying, that you're trying to get rid of over into the Roth and – uh, you know, well, that's really a good problem to have if you have just plain too much money. Uh, but you're able to move 35000 which seems right. like a reasonably good right. amount of money to to, uh, to not have to pay what used to be a 10% penalty on earnings if you didn't use it for education. Okay. So, you know. So if you had 50000 in that account, you bumped thirty five over. You still got fifteen thousand if you withdraw it. You got to pay that ten percent hit. Yeah, in that scenario where if you didn't use it for college, but yes. again, you know, if there's a family member you transfer it to, 
and they use it for college, then you don't then there's no tax, no penalty, and so that's still perfect. Okay. So yeah, it it really limits the number of situations where there's now a problem. You know, right. if if you say like, well, geez, out of a hundred kids, maybe there's a problem for twenty five of them. Mm-hmm. You know, twenty five percent of the time they end up paying that that earnings penalty some some way somehow. I would venture this probably takes it from twenty five percent of the time down to less than one percent of the time that it would now be a problem. Right. It it would be incredibly rare for for there to really be a headache at this point. Right. Because the only the only hurdle in here is getting that it has to be open fifteen years and funded for five. So again, the idea of maybe you're not at fifteen years when the child is twenty two. So you just wait. Wait until they're 28 or wait until they're 30 and then make the move with the money. Right. There's no, there's no time limit in that regard from the government. So it's a, fan, it's a fantastic setup. Really is. If, yeah. people have tro- if, if I totally confuse someone, feel free to give, me a, call, give yeah. me a call at the office. I'll work through it again with you on the phone or in person. You, maybe you need to jot those different um, details down. Sure. Um, happy to do it, though. If you want, give me a call at the office, 439-1143. Righto. And if you want to give us a call here at the station and join our conversation, feel free to call us at 433-1433. That's 433-1433 to talk to Mr. Eric Connor from Connor Wealth Management. So, um, any... Uh, I don't know. I guess uh, how's our petrodollar doing, and does that is that going to affect what's going on in our stocks and bonds and our tradings and our re- retirements? So we've got uh, the dollar has has weakened just a teeny bit in in the last. Uh, I'll just say I'll just throw out the general term of saying the last couple months, and what that really is revolving around is the idea, the belief that we're coming to the end of our interest rate tightening cycle. I know I've explained in the past that if we raise interest rates and foreign countries don't raise rates so that we keep having higher and higher rates compared to them, our dollar will strengthen against those currencies. So what's happened is other countries have raised rates. We look like we're at the end of our raising cycle. So our dollar has started to weaken a little, which totally fine it's not when i say weekend it's like you know the sort of that ebb and flow not not a cliff not falling off a cliff it's just the ebb and flow so last year we had a strengthening dollar because we kept rapidly rising our raising our interest rates so now that we don't look like we're doing that the dollar will weaken a little bit and that's fine what that has done is it relieves some of the pressure in the economy in lots of ways um, and and does affect things in the stock market. One of the things that it'll do when you have a uh, when you have a currency foreign currency appreciating a little bit, you'll get the situation where foreign international investing can look like their returns are doing better. And so that's what we've entered into is that a few international markets are doing a little bit better than ours right now. That's totally fine. And, of course, when you look at the whole world, it doesn't mean anything about all of them, right? Then we're never in a situation where all the markets are doing the same thing at the same time. 
So as as we've had a little bit of a weakening dollar, you've had a little bit of improvement on the international stock market returns. You've also had gold uh, move a little higher. I know on this show over the years, we've talked about what makes gold and silver move. And it's partially inflation and it's partially the direction of the dollar. And so when you have a rapidly increasing dollar or an increase, a strengthening dollar, it's really hard for gold to move higher. But as that statement reverses, if you've had a weakening dollar, even if it's not a lot, you can make gold get a little peppier in its price. And that's what we've been seeing. So gold has moved a little higher. Um, It did close above 2,000 an ounce which does not happen much. And uh, that was on, I'm staring down and trying to read without my glasses. Uh, that was on April the 3rd. And gold had moved up about 7.8% in the first quarter. So it actually moved up about the same amount as the broad stock market, interestingly enough. But again, you've got a little bit of movement higher related to the the, the changeover from a strengthening dollar to now a little bit of a weakening dollar. So that's kind of what we've seen, Eric, overall is you get a little bit of movement on the international side. Mm-hmm. You get a little bit of movement on the precious metal side. Um, what does it mean uh, kind of for the rest of the year? Uh, you'll probably have a situation where there's not m- very much movement in the dollar overall. But you'll have these little ebbs and flows because you're still going to have some interest rate changes around the world. Um, the F- Our Fed, Federal Reserve Board, may or may not raise rates the next time they meet. It's really still a coin flip. I'm not sold on either direction just yet. I suppose if I had to give an answer, I'd say, yeah, they'll probably move rates up a quarter point. Right. But I wouldn't be surprised if they don't. I really wouldn't. Um as as I've mentioned on this show and over the last few months, it it's really easy to see that the year-over-year year numbers for inflation are coming down. The percentage increase is coming down. And so as we've gone from 9%, I think, was back all the way into June, and we've just steadily moved it lower. Now we're at 5 And again, my full expectation is that we'll be into the 4s and then into the 3s. That removes the pressure for the Fed to keep moving rates higher. They already created a banking problem last month. So if they keep moving higher, they'll just create different unintended consequences through throughout the economy. So I don't know. I, I guess if I, again, had to guess, I think they probably will go a quarter point the next time they meet. Would that lend a little bit more support to the dollar? It would. Um and that would probably not last very long. You know, like the effects of that would probably play itself out within two or three months. And, and we'd probably – you could probably almost say like August, the level in August will be the level we've got right now as as far as the dollar value goes. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it will play much of a role going forward. I really don't. Okay. So the purchasing value of a dollar you think is going to stay – about where it is. I think, yeah, with with the modest amount of inflation, the, the again, the way I th- 
foresee it happening is, you know, you'll you'll be into this four, four and a half, and then into the three, upper three range over the next few months. That's not a terribly high level of inflation, you right. know. So you, would the purchasing power go down a little? It would. It would. Um, I mean, look, at the end of the day, the the decade that we had through the Obama years and most of the Trump years um, was ridiculously modest inflation, just very, very low. And historically of the last uh, – of the post-World War II era, that was, that was far below normal. So um, I think we're probably back into more of that range right now where we could expect 3 percent inflation and whether that continues off into you know a five-year and 10-year horizon i have no idea but uh i think we'll continue to trend back lower in in the absence of yeah kind of the warning that's always out there right like natural disasters crazy war situations um you know, barring those sorts of catastrophes, I think we'll continue to have a more moderate level of inflation. So we'll just have to see how it plays out. But that's what I that's what I sort of see right now. Okay. Well, that's it, it seems to be the the trending. I mean it's it just if you follow just follow the numbers for the last, you know, nine months. Yeah. You know, for what's been going on here, it's 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 not life threatening, but oftentimes not real encouraging when you go to the gas pumps or you know, go to the grocery store. You know, it's yeah. You know, the the consumer is definitely feeling it. The pinch, absolutely. There's no and one. and I know for the last couple of years, starting in the pandemic, the the one statement I had said was, I think where we have a real challenge is on food inflation. Right. I think that's really the challenge. I don't worry too much in mm-hmm. in regard to the way. Oil will go up from time to time. Natural gas will go up from time to time. But I, I, I do absolutely have a concern on the food inflation of how that affects us as consumers, right? You right. can't – there's not a real replacement if you're looking, <laughs> if you're looking for food. And, uh, you know, we can make a joke in the past about the egg prices and that they won't last high forever and, you know, a lazy chicken comment. But, you know, that will resolve itself over time. But, you know, if you've got – Worldwide, if you've got a problem with wheat production or corn production or whatever, that right. is, that's a problem that doesn't resolve itself very well. Agreed. Yeah. So uh, not all inflation is equal, right? That idea of drug versus energy versus food. It affects the economy differently. But food is a big challenge, um, and we're, we won't really be able to get away from it right now on the inflation right. side. So we're just going to just get through it. You got it. All you got right. It. All right, we've well, been listening to Mr. Eric Connor from Connor Wealth Management. He's located at 5860 Snyder Drive here in the town of Lockport. If you would like to have a private consultation with Mr. Connor, just give him a call at 716-439-1143. That's 439-1143. Or go to connorwealth.com. Uh, final thoughts, Mr. Connor. you got about 20 seconds. Enjoy the sunshine out there, and I will be back on the first Friday in May. All right. I look forward to it. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend. Enjoy this beautiful, beautiful weather. Take care.